Hi, and welcome to this week's VFX show. I'm Mike Seymour, and uh, I am joined globally uh, by two of our regulars, uh, starting with Matt. Matt Leonard, how are you, sir? Very well, thank you. Very well. Had a good day. Thank you. So it's 8 a.m. here. What time is it there? It's about uh, just gone 9 in the evening here. Right. We won't tell people where you are. Your accent will certainly not be a giveaway. Um, And we're also... (laughs) Uh, joined by my good friend and sometimes DOP colleague uh, um, who just uh, shot a bunch of stuff for us in L, Jason Diamond. How are you, sir? Good. It's the afternoon where I am. What time? Uh, Four o'clock. Excellent. So we have the globe covered. Thanks for helping us shoot in LA. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was super fun. And I'm just going to plug that right out of the gate because um, it is something that you guys might be interested in. If you're interested in this show, you might be interested in an interview that uh, Jason and I did uh, with uh, Kim Masters from the business. And uh, nicely shot by Jason. It's uh, up on FX Guide under the Quick Take section. Just look for Kim Masters on the business FX Guide. Um, And, uh, yeah, Uh, had a lot of interesting comments about that. It's a very – first half, I guess, is discussing – her stuff which i think is awesome second stuff is really i guess more her opinion on the industry which is also um i think particularly interesting i don't know if you saw that matt but it's a it's a good story yeah i've seen it i just haven't had a chance to listen yet well it's you jolly well just you know, <laughs> yeah she's super <laughs> yeah, super smart super super awesome yeah they're very very uh, generous hey um so we're here to talk about men in black not men in black three though we probably will get to that uh when it comes out we wanted to do a retro show looking at men in black one and two so we need to take you back to 97 and 2002 so just to set the context in um in uh the sin effects that came out with men in black one it also had the lost world uh, and The Fifth Element, which is one of my favourite films. And by the time we'd got to Men in Black 2, Cinefix was publishing a story about it in Minority Report uh, and Reign of Fire. Wow, Reign of Fire, that one went away, didn't it? Um, filed under uh, not as memorable. Uh, but Minority Report, a huge film. Um, but both of these films, big miniatures films, obviously big makeup films. Um, let's start with Men in Black 1. And uh, I'd just be interested, basically what you guys thought of it back in the day because it is you know a few years ago now um starting with you maybe matt uh, i definitely remember seeing it it was something that i was looking forward to and and i remember it with fond memories so i obviously re rewatched it for the show and really enjoyed it again just watching it recently so yeah a big hit loved it uh jason were you um a fan yeah i i remember liking it when it came out and when I rewatched watched it, also, uh, it's a fun it's a fun movie that's that does what it needs to do. You know I mean, it, like it, it knows what it is as a film. Yes, yes. Uh, it's basically the Blues Brothers meets uh, Alien. Um, the thing about the film, the first film, I loved it to death. But I have to say that I got a bit antsy, and in my memory, um, had very much sort of been down on Men in Black too. Did you? And I'll tell you why in a second. But did anybody else sort of get down on Men in Black too? I mean, in terms I of like not from just from a film point of view. Yeah, I didn't remember actually seeing it, and I still can't verify if I actually saw it when it came out, which shows you how memorable it was. But on on the recent viewing, it is an awful film. Not to, not as a not trying to slag anyone who worked on it, but just it's it's a giant corporate tie-in cameo fest with no story at all really just kind of I, I was just like oh my god that's my <laughs> <laughs> what about you Matt 
Um, I was in the same boat. I really didn't remember seeing it, though. I must have seen it because I would have wanted to have seen it. And again, re-watching it again, it just reminded me why I didn't remember it. It seemed to be... Uh, to be a kind of a Sherlock Holmes 2 again oh, kind of oh. running the same old gags and, and uh, vicious. Um, <laughs> I guess from my point of view uh, there was one f- sort of aspect about it that I used to tell people about in fact I used to tell people about it so much that I sort of forgot about the movie it just became my anecdote about Men in Black 2 um, and it's an odd one it's not what you'd think it is is that I went and saw the film and I was disappointed in it I didn't really like it a lot um, but if I recall correctly, and I could be, I could be wrong, but because um, I haven't looked this up, but the film ran 88 minutes, if I recall correctly, and eight minutes of it was the end title sequence, which meant 10% of the film was just the end titles. And this, to me, um, was symbolic of the fact that it seemed like Men in Black 1 had been such a great film. Everyone was coming back to sort of stick their oar in the water on Men in Black 2. So it suffered from just everybody piling on, everybody thinking they were going to make a monster, everybody thinking they were going to have a lot of fun out of it. Now, the only person I'm going to give a get-out-of-jail-free card to this is Rick Baker because apparently he was really caught between, like, two directors, tons of studio involvement, tons of whatever, um, and so consequently... You know, they were being pulled and, and tugged in different directions. But it seemed to me that that was just like so symbolic of the film that they were, they were giving the audience the bare minimum of, of actual f- sort of screen time. And then they were, everybody wanted their name in there. And that was just like summed up the film to me, yeah. um, which I guess is an odd thing. But uh, and Rick Baker has a cameo in, in the second one, too. Look, he totally does. Um, and, and that's fine. Like, I thought the cameos were kind of fun, right? Like, I thought the cameo of Michael Jackson was kind of fun. And in the first one, I thought the cameos, you know, indicating that Spielberg and George Lucas were aliens. That was all fun stuff, right? Yeah. And, you know, it's good. It just, it felt like in the second one, everyone was coming back saying, hey, we're going to either, you know, I don't know. It's just, uh, well, obviously the plot wasn't wasn't strong but it was just like hey let's just do this again and everyone's going to milk it and everyone's going to make a lot of money and it wasn't done for the love of the film it was done just i think somebody just well matt you just said a corporate time kind of thing i was just going to say it's interesting when you're talking about money i was looking at the uh, the figures the first one apparently according to imdb cost 90 million to make and it grossed 589 million and the second one obviously uh was a lot more, 140 million to make, and grossed only 441 million. So basically, Men in Black One appears on a monetary level to be twice as successful in what it bought in than Men in Black Two. Yeah, yeah. Now the the problem is, what's Men in Black Three going to be like? And obviously, we can't judge it because we haven't seen it. Though I have to say, um, there was a headline uh, that I saw where. Uh, it says, shooting Men in Black 3 without a third act might have been a really stupid idea. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> so, um, uh, yes, this article, which um, I'm going to say is from Playlist News, uh, so I don't know the validity of it, uh, but it it claims that the shooting of the third one's been a bit of a debacle and, um, and that, uh, you know... This is dated from the 29th of February, so let's face it, two days ago. Um, but we haven't actually seen Will Smith in a film for a fair while. And if this was a good film, I think one would carry it. Do you know what I mean? I think people would forgive two yeah. and embrace three if it was a good film. Um, well, what I don't but if it's... Sorry, sorry go on. I was going to say, what I don't understand, and it's just from a trailer, so again, we can't judge it, but the plot from the second one was that Tommy Lee Jones 
K was gone back to his old life and they have to go back to get him to save the world. Now in the trailer for the third one, it's Jay has to once again go back in time now to talk to K, who is Josh Brolin playing the young Tommy Lee Jones, who who then they now suggest has been dead for 50 years and he's some other entity, right? So it's so, it's sort of like Oh, we're gonna we're gonna do a similar idea. We're basically gonna redo two because it sucked, and now we're just gonna make a, a good solid second movie. At least that's <laughs> okay, what the well, trailer seems like. You know what I mean, yeah. like, I haven't seen it. I hope it's good because I like Barry Sonnenfeld and I like the first one. But yeah, I, I as I say, I think the first one's great. I think there's a lot of goodwill for the actors, um, and yet. I, I I totally am happy to reserve judgment, right? Like yeah. one internet post. I mean, I remember when Titanic hadn't come out yet and there were just posts about it was going to be the most dreadful film ever and there was no sequel and the, you knew what the plot was and it was going to be a disaster. So you totally can't judge a film um, before it comes out. But we can judge the two that are out. So let's look back on them. And, and, um, and both of these films were ILM films and both of these films were at an age when ILM used to make a lot of miniatures. Now... They weren't films that were done pre-digital age in the sense that there was no digital effects or anything, but even in scenes that had, like, digital cars, they'd make uh, miniatures of uh, tunnels full of mechanical cars because it was still viable to build a miniature set of a tunnel um, full of cars and then just have a CG car kind of added to it. But while we can discuss that, I think we really need to start at sort of the, I guess, the essence of what made the films... Um, so visually interesting, which was the characters and the character designs and stuff. And if we look at just one for a second, would you guys agree with me that that they came up with a really good set of plausibly funny uh, characters on the whole? Like some of them I'm going to have a couple of issues with, but on the whole they were kind of plausibly funny in the sense that they weren't just a complete waste of time and they were some really nice gags. I mean, the head, you know, shoot your head off and it regrows kind of gag stuff. And that, that was... That was really effective in the first one. Yeah, it felt like it was like uh, it was Tony Shalhoub, who's obviously a great actor. But that was um, that was a great like it felt like a Beetlejuice gag to me, which is fine because Beetlejuice is a great movie, uh, and it, it totally worked. That it grows back, and they even reference that in the second one. That's one of the better moments of the second movie, where where they keep threatening to blow his head off. Though I did feel. You know that that was just recycling the gag that yeah, they totally. in the first one. But, but let me use a different example. That initial shot in the um, Mexican uh, border crossing scene, where you know he's got the head on a stick, mm-hmm. like that was, I think, a really effective uh, sequence. It was, it was funny. The alien was like really well formed in a kind of cantina Star Wars sense. It looked like it should have been, you know, able to stand up yeah. and. It was original and and stuff. Um, so yeah, I, I thought it was I thought it was really good. I mean, um, there are some things that kind of slightly bugged me, but you know, when you go to a control room and you've got a kind of a jellyfish alien guy controlling, you know, a thousand kind of uh, panels and stuff with heaps of tentacle arms and stuff or or whatever it was, they all looked sort of good and they were like a nice balance of. Um, like, you know, for, we, we need some aspects to be things that we can relate to. Like, when the baby alien is born, you need to feel like it's a baby. Now, what does a baby alien look like? And, well, right. you know, who knows? But it had a baby-esque quality about it 
So it was funny. Yeah. And it worked. I know, and that was one of the things that worked for me for the movie as a whole is the audience is Will Smith um, learning about the universe and learning all the secrets that Kay is teaching him. Um, so, so you're forgiven a lot of things. And the baby alien looked... I thought it looked great. And I, it looked animatronic to me, which is, it, which is a way better probably solve, especially at that time, because uh, he can touch it and he can react to like this little thing in his hands yeah were there any aliens that you really liked Matt the uh, the very first one I think it was called Mikey the one that you were talking about at the beginning that one always stood out to me I always kind of remembered that looking back at the film and uh, probably not a, a great alien design though the the kind of the eye um, slit on the alien that runs up the wall that's another one that always kind of stands out at me um, as being just an interesting design and obviously the uh, the guy whose head opens up with the, the little creature inside working all the uh, knobs and buttons is a, another great one. It just feels like all the aliens have kind of a backstory. It, it feels like they were thought about in a lot of detail before being made. And um, they all feel really solid. I, I really loved them. The one I liked the most, and I was kind of stunned when I went back to research for this thing, how they did it, um, was the alien in the autopsy table. You know, the guy... Um, uh, like he's basically his head sort of pops open to reveal a tiny alien uh, in a little control booth inside. Mm, yeah, that was like I think probably my all-time favourite because I thought the ear coming out the side was just genius, uh, and then when it popped open, it looked like a believable little control panel, and it looked like a kind of a cute little alien guy, and but it didn't look. Like, you could read it really quickly, but it didn't look like it was completely hokey. And the effects, the the actual visual effects work, I thought was excellent. Did you guys research how they did that? From what I know, it was it, it was a, a, a kind of a, a big bigature, I guess, wasn't it? It was a kind of a, a big model. They had two sizes, didn't they? A smaller version and a, a big old version that they could film in. Yeah, and the big old version, the alien would be half a man size, like... So let's say three or four feet, just the alien inside the head. So the head was like six or seven feet, and that's just the face part, right? The rest of it went into the shoulders. So you're talking like this 20-foot kind of giant fiberglass guy's head with uh, enough room, of course, from the outside to be able to control and puppeteer stuff inside, which, which you know, just you got to give it to ILM's uh, miniatures team and the photography work in the film that it just never looked like we'd suddenly gone to a a big version of the guy's head. It always felt like it was part of the same scene. I, I think that was really well done, both cinematography, visual effects, and just integration of live action with the face and um, uh, and the mask. I, I thought it was like a really well-executed sequence. Yeah, that's one of my yeah, I- also other favorite other favorite guys. And I think, I think now I'd even want to try and do it that way. You know what I mean? Like, it just, it just feels real. Yeah, I mean, it, it really did. And I've got to say, like, I don't think you would today. Like, I think it'd be a really hard thing to convince a producer to make a massive, oversized, you know, controlled kind of uh, head. And yet, I think it worked so well. And it's bloody enormous, this thing. Um, and there, there are a few other occasions, um, especially, I guess, we get to in the second film, where they actually did pull practical and redo uh, it with digital. But just staying on one for a second, um, were there any other bits? I can remember at the time one of the things that freaked me out in a good way was the decaying skin body 
of um, of the evil uh, uh, guy whose name escapes me for a second. But yeah, like the whole thing of his body yeah, Edgar. being a uh, yeah, just being kind of uh, a wonderful um, take off the skin and wear it, and it just starts to degrade over time. I mean, that was just really gross in a good way. Um, yeah, and the, the I, shot when he um, when he kind of comes out of the crater and, and goes back into the house and talks to his wife and she's saying it looks like the skin's kind of hanging off his bones and then he he pulls the skin up from behind his head just looked fantastic and i always thought i wonder how they did that digitally and from doing some research it appears that that was all practically done and it just looked fantastic yeah i thought it was creepy good um and i think that the I'd had a couple of sort of qualms about the end sequence, but I don't have any qualms with how good it looked with that saucer smashing into uh, the ground, that big kind of, you know, high-speed photography trick of getting um, uh, the saucer to kind of plough the ground, which I I think is now a sort of a shot that is almost like a default go-to kind of look. I mean, that shot of it ripping up the ground and and smashing in uh, towards camera. I've seen that in several films since. I don't know I'd seen it before then. Did anyone else remember well, seeing that shot? It certainly is the opening shot to Men in Black 2 when the when their ship smashes into the when the little what you think is a giant ship but is a little tiny ship smashes into Central Park. It's the exact same shot. Yeah. And uh well we started on Men in Black 2. There there were some good things on Men in Black 2, yeah. don't get me wrong. Like uh I did really like the entire um, Graves uh, episode of the TV show, you know, (laughs) the idea that there was this (laughs) Men in Black uh, documentary, I guess you'd call it, recreation done with a bunch of geeks. X-Files. Yeah, and and it was so great and so hokey. And I can even remember at the time thinking, oh, this is going to be awesome because it was just such a great gag to, to do that. And then coupled that with the actual scale sort of freak out when it lands on on earth um yeah. you know it was like that first five minutes of the show you just thought this is going to be awesome um it kind of went downhill after that but, but that but it was good i thought but back to your your comment about one uh vincent d'onofrio playing the edgar character you know you have to give him a lot of credit because he acted most of that you know what I mean? Like that's not oh, yeah. a body double or whatever. He changed his voice and and moved his body to look like that. So I think he's a really accomplished actor. Yeah, I he's mean, great. Uh, Full Metal Jacket is just creepy good because of him. Yeah. So apart from uh, the ones we've listed, what what else do you want to flag in one before we get on to two? Just in terms of things you really loved, uh, creatures or stuff. I mean, the whole Men in Black. Um, became the signature thing you know the uh effectively the transit lounge of yeah head office was a lot of fun and there was some some good gags going down there but was there any other particular uh monsters or creatures that you guys liked i thought the dog worked well for mm. for for what they were doing I, i'm not i can't remember if in time if that had been done um because i thought it was done really well and i can't remember and they have him next i like that they had him next to riffraff from uh from the rocky horror you know to just yes. sort of set that up as like that's the guy you're gonna talk to and no it's the dog you know yeah uh, <laughs> yeah so i thought that was done really well um as just a, as an effect because uh, it, it sold it pretty well i was trying to think of uh i mean i i like that the movie ended in in queen's 
in the World's Fair because my train goes by. I see that every day on my way to work. And okay. uh, it looks like a spaceship. You know what I mean? Like, it's the fact that they wrote that, whoever wrote that lives in New York. You know what I mean? Because it just, you, you would look at that and say, of course, those are two spaceships, you know. Okay, well, let's jump to two. So I said I like Peter Graves and the Mysteries of History, I think it was. Um, the uh, And, of course, in terms of character work, there was some uh, really nice stuff. There's a few that I had some issues with, but what about you guys? Uh, you know, was there a particular anything in, in Matt in 2 that you liked in terms of character work? Yeah, there was quite a lot of things that I liked. There were, again, some things that I, I kind of didn't like, didn't think worked quite so well. The whole... Um, kind of opening once the, uh, the the tiny spaceship as we find lands and we get the um, the kind of the alien forming out of all the kind of I don't know what they were kind of snakes or that whole kind of organic forming I really like that whole section it kind of reminded me of the uh, the 1982 thing um, a little bit but that whole sequence from kind of where the dog arrives and the little alien comes out and then grows into uh, what eventually obviously becomes the human I loved all that. Nice depth of field, nice movement. I just looked fantastic. Apparently it was initially meant to be much more like ivy and organic plant type stuff. And then, of course, as one of the many things that happened in Men in Black 2, it was a late-minute change to make it more like worms or snakes, which is why you ended up with that kind of hybrid look, which probably actually worked in its favour because you weren't sure what it was, which is what something alien would be, right? But um, right, yeah. but ILM had to swing it back towards being like a more of a worm look because they wanted to do that end sequence kind of stuff where it's, you know, bitey, aimed at the face kind of stuff. What about you, Jason? Any uh, creatures that you really liked in the second one? Um, that opening sequence, I'm like on the fence about the snaky things, but I did like I did like the gags that, and I like how they used the the um, the bush after she after Lara Flynn Boyle looks at the magazine becomes her and then comes out sees the guy eats him and then comes out with the big gut the fat suit yeah which i thought you know that's funny well, that's pretty funny and and yeah. today they would do that her fix digitally and she'd spit the guy out and she'd get skinny or whatever and i like that she just walked behind the bush sound effect walk back you know it's it's a uh, it's a nice it's simple it's way funnier but yeah but it it's a better gag. I think my favorite character in the whole thing, well, two. The guy who you see is the big, tall, weird-looking guy who ends up breaking into all the little guys yeah. for the end battle. I liked him, although the guys later, when you first see them look good and then they start to sort of fall apart a little bit in the in the in just the way that their physics are happening. But the guys in the locker... Uh, at Grand Central Terminal were my favorite creatures. Uh, okay, so both conceptually I, 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 and <clears throat> and of why they do what they do, and 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 the way they looked, I thought it was pretty funny. Okay, I totally agree with you on the locker, but I'll raise you on locker and say when he when um, Kay puts his finger in the orb. And they have the tidal wave. Yes, uh, yeah, that is I mean, that was right. just <laughs> apparently that took like eight months to do. And I just think that that was like some animator at ILM just had, you know, like maybe maybe they consider it to be a crappy job. I reckon that was like a genius job. No, it was great. It was, but I mean, a crappy job because they had to do like one shot that went for like yeah, yeah. any time for like eight months. But 
God, I thought that was good. I thought it looked great. I thought I'd like to think it was somebody that wasn't super experienced at ILM. They said like, oh, here you go. You can do this bit. And they just went to town on it. Um, and I don't know if anyone knows who did that shot where um, Kay sticks his finger in the, um, in the ball of what looks like kind of maybe water or smoke and, and causes the tidal wave stuff. But I just thought that was just so well done. But yeah, the locker stuff as well, just and, genius. And, the, and I like the dialogue that they throw into the the section with the orb when he sticks his finger in and you cut to inside the orb and the people are running yeah. like it's all been for naught we're destroyed you know like it's all yeah you know it totally that sells it to me is is the, oh that's the what audio. i'm talking about i mean that yeah it, yeah okay sure but yeah the interior of that shot yeah. is just genius yeah yeah, yeah. And but then also and then they double sorry, up the locker shot after to show that we're also in a locker which is also a takeoff of the marble at the end of the first one so that yeah, it is a lot of a takeoff at the end of the first one. Um, but I do like the I do like their suggestion of the world within a world within a world thing. It's a kind of a quantum concept that I I like that they at least throw out there. Uh, if it's well, I liked it when they threw it out there in the first one. Yeah, right? totally. The whole idea that we were just like a marble in a giant game of sort of intergalactic uh, kids game. But but in the second one, I. And which I think was actually done by Rhythm and Hughes, not by ILM, the, the locker shot. I actually didn't get that at first. Like, it wasn't obvious to me, the right. pullback. Because, because the elevator at Men in Black is high up on a sort of flat wall, yeah. and then it comes down to the floor. When I first saw that shot, I assumed it was something that happened to the Men in Black office. It was too much like a similar shot oh, we'd seen true, before. Yeah. And I just thought that particular pullback reveal just seemed to link to a to that in a way that wasn't the case which may be just bad art direction and direction um so i'm not saying that even technically i just felt it wasn't immediately obvious that i was in a some kind of train station and it was a locker it more felt like it was a you know a view onto another world and the scale wasn't the same kind of vast thing i don't know it just it didn't it was almost like a joke that didn't quite. Yeah, they would have had to pull me. back and show a much wider shot of that you knew you were somewhere else. Yeah, if it'd gone up and, and at a different angle, up and around, or or swung back with the door somehow, just that wasn't the same kind of pullback that we've yeah. seen from the Men in Black elevator, which is a very distinctive um, kind of entry thing into that uh, into that arrivals area. Yeah, um, I I do think that. Um, uh, there were a couple of things I said that wasn't so good about it. And for a long time, I couldn't work out why I didn't like the guy in the mail sorting machine when he goes to identify Kay yeah. and he sort of starts revealing. Because there's one of the characters there, the guy that's split in half, that ends up with his uh, legs standing up with an alien controlling it and his head uh, and upper torso on the ground. I thought that was good. The guy under the copier, though, bugged the bajillicans out of me and it took me a long time before i realized that the eyes seem to be not looking anywhere Hmm. and um the eyes just seem to be sort of marbles inserted that have no life and of course you just expect to get so much life from the eyes which segues into another thing which i think was kind of interesting um i was reading about this and apparently a lot of the character designs for men in black didn't have eyes because there wasn't an assumption that you had a you know, biped or, or biped or a necessarily like, you know, something that would look humanoid and so it didn't have to have um, stereo vision, so it didn't need a pair of eyes. And so, you know, and so some aliens worked that way. There was a single eye alien, as I said before, that was controlling the control panel, but a bunch of them just didn't have eyes. The trouble that they had that is when they went that far with the character design, 
you couldn't get much of a performance out of them because you didn't know which way the character was looking, so it had kind of no motivation. And if it's got no lines, you don't know which way it's looking. It's a very much a kind of a you know non-moving prop in the yeah. way that the garbage can assault thing with the machine guns, you know, it works if it's got something to do, but otherwise it's a garbage can. Right. Um, and uh, so that guy under the table, uh, under the sorting sort of thing, looks like a photocopier. Um, yeah, he always bothered me, and it's just the eyes are completely wrong. The other ones that didn't work so well for me is the little guys, uh, they go to their uh, pad, and they were obviously puppeted to the point that they looked to me like Muppets. And and it's a physics problem, really. You know, they're like very um, lightweight limbed characters, but they never felt like they were resting their considerable middle bottle body torso weight on those legs they just felt like the legs were dancing around underneath them and that the body was being carried by some invisible rod which obviously it must have been in the way that a muppet dancing does the same thing you've seen those sort of things yeah. where they've got a, a sesame yeah, street kind yeah, of character definitely. that there's no weight transfer as one leg moves you don't transfer the body mass over the top of the other leg so as to sustain balance but, of course, an actor in a suit always does that because they're very worried about falling over and it gives it a whole level of realism. But you'd, of course, know a lot about this, Matt, from just, you know, character animation in CG. Yeah, there was... A, I mean, those worm guys definitely seemed slightly odd in a number of uh, places. And I noticed a few other things, um, just kind of weight-wise, that just didn't seem quite right to me. Um, one of them was um, towards the beginning when um, Will Smith is kind of before he goes into the subway to chase down uh, Jeff, that giant kind of uh, worm or slug or whatever it is that lives in the subway, there's a shot where the um, where he's Will Smith is standing looking down the hole and behind him comes kind of the tail of this uh, creature that then swipes him out of the way. And all of the physics on, on that didn't quite seem right. It seemed very flat and I don't quite know what they did, whether they filmed that on a wire or... Or what it was very short, but it. I think it you can say the same thing about the wire work when he's fighting the alien with his clones, the sort of UFO guy, the guy that yeah. was in the big suit. He gets thrown back. I mean, there's a funny gag when he can't climb out of that pile of plastic tubes. Yeah, I like that. But the throw yeah, to good. get him in that just felt no, like wire work. I was just going to say it seemed better the first one where, um, as uh, as Jason was saying, when he gets picked up by the baby alien and kind of hurled around the car that almost seemed to work better in in number one than it did in in number two yeah. In two yeah but I, was I, I actually thought the alien eating the subway not having ever been on the new york subway was good what did you think jason um yeah i thought the alien eating the subway was good but when he's on top of the subway and he keeps getting hit, oh, Will smith keeps getting hit by the things oh my god yeah, it's not good is i it? mean the compositing alone is enough to make you turn it off. But because it's just the black levels were just, I mean, the New York subway is was, black. Yeah. It's not gray. It was out. You know what I mean? It was, yeah. No, that was, I totally agree. And the that, physics uh, of it, it looked like almost yeah. like they were puppeting him a little bit. You know what I mean? Um, well, I think he was sat on a kind of a gimbal rig, wasn't he? A blue screen gimbal rig that they were kind of hurling around by hand. Yeah. And then, I mean, I'm all for, comped him on after. I'm all for comedic action, but if you're riding on top of a train that's going, as fast as a New York subway goes, and you get you hit your head on the ceiling, you're dead. You know what I mean? Like I'm all, yeah, I'm all take for the gag. Off, yeah. Totally. Yeah. But like, it's, if it had been a hanging down piece of card, but you hit you hit a beam, yeah, you're, you're decapitated. Yeah. yeah, it happens all the time. <laughs> actually, <laughs> people get run over. 
Uh, but yeah, I mean, I thought, I thought, it's funny. Anything that had involved the tunnel as the main part of the comp was the black levels were off to me. Like when they when you see him yep. pull yep. away and you realize that he's standing in half the car, it's just. It just looks wrong. But then when they pull into the station, which is clearly a station... That looks great. Yep. You know, that is a set of some kind, or they got a real station and pulled in, you know, a part of a train. That was that was fine. Well, but, I was saying, actually, the alien, like, when it's going to eat the yeah, yeah, train, yeah, I thought, there's a shot back at its teeth that's suitably gnarly and Yeah, I thought that worked ridiculous, fine when he's but, eating the train. And even yeah. the side shot, in that sense... Worked. It felt kind of Ghostbusters-y. You know what I mean? Did feel a bit Ghostbusters, yeah. But but that's not a bad thing. No, yeah. no, it, it worked. But the I one mean, that had a- to work the least successfully, in my opinion, just from an audience point of view, and I don't know how you'd have made it work as a visual effects. Um, if I'd been given that, I would have hated it. Is the uh, Johnny Knoxville second head over uh, the shoulder thick thing, yeah. which is, I mean, oh god. That was just... I mean, he shouldn't have been in that movie to begin with, but... He's actually a good talent. I, You could have done more with him. Yeah. And, but that second head just seems said, so hokey. It just screamed bad Beetlejuice to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it, yeah. The, the black levels were... Like, the, like they were the, the neck and the face on the second head were way too contrasty. And and you could it almost had like a blue like it was the projection almost even though it wasn't but it felt like I don't know it just felt it felt disembodied from him it didn't feel like it was part of him like you never saw where it was attached like at some point they no. should have shown the the mechanics of it in some shot you know what I mean I think that my problem is that if you're going to have a skeletal based creature which he seemed to be and his head seemed to be skull based you would expect that the neck that came up from the back would have some basis on a skeleton. You'd feel that there should be bones in there. And what it felt like is that you had a rubber hose with a neck with a head on the end of it. And so it just didn't work as a conceptual design. Because if, like you think about your arm, right? Your arm has joints in it, and it should have joints in it because we're built off a bone structure. Well, it didn't feel like the neck of that second alien had a bone structure, which meant it felt like a separate alien or a different right. creature. And so, and it was coming out of a backpack. So it could have been a different creature coming out of a backpack. So for a second there, you're going, what am I looking at? Is this a creature in the backpack? And then you go, well, okay, it's, no, it's him. And then it's like, well, how would that creature look if you were to do a, let's say you did like a, 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 a new turntable shot in computer graphics terms, right? Right. How did it, how did that work? And it just would look like a stuck-on appendage because it had no sense of being an extension. And that's where I think it went wrong. It just didn't feel like it was anything other than a jack-in-the-box gone wrong um, and that that jack-in-the-box neck was not of the same body yeah. that the rest of him was. So what am I looking at? I mean, they should have at least gone to a, like a neck-cracking gag or something to yeah. intimate that there was some yeah. structure in there. And why not just have it as a as something that has an actual neck? You, I guess the thing is they lose this kind of ability for it to just fly around. But, you know, I mean, there were other aliens we've seen. Um, well, uh, most of the rest of them, actually, um, where they all felt integrated, right? They didn't feel like one whole part of them was just, you know, completely hokey and tacked on from a different set of aliens. So I think... 
I think uh, in creature design, you do have to have a logic, right? Okay, this creature, now these are comic creatures, so you could argue I'm over-intellectualizing it, but this creature is a herbivore or carnivore. If it's, a, if it's something that hunts for a living, it needs to have the ability to really train its eyes the way that we know that you use your stereo eyes when trying to hunt. If it's a herbivore and it's, you know, like looks like a bull, then eyes are either on the side of its head. If it's like a fish, you know, like that, it's, it's you know, like in all creatures, we kind of get these cues about where they work and how they build and and then you know skin characteristics come from environment and uh you know the ability to deal with sort of the weight and distribution causes you know different sort of size limbs and stuff and if you have all that logic and i don't care what the logic is you know it can be a jelly creature just give me consistent logic that comes from one place and i think and then the, the character just works and i think you know, to not do that and just say, oh, it's a comic character because it doesn't work is what I hated about too. It was almost like, hey, it doesn't matter. The kids will think it's funny. It's like, yeah, you know, the kids thought it was kind of lame. Yeah, it, it, it seems to me, that, I mean, I looked at a lot of those shots with, with him in it and as far as I can see from the way they did it, they, they filmed a second um, uh, Knoxville head on a blue screen and then comped that in and then basically tried to fill in the neck around that so you had him and then a floating head and then a cg neck connecting the the smaller head into the body and i think because of that the the whole kind of way that the muscles would normally work in that your head movement would be controlled through your neck was completely reversed the head kind of bobbed around through the compositing process and then they just filled in almost this rubber style neck as you had said to, to connect the two and I think it could have almost been better and I, I don't know where they could have done it back in the day but is if they had projected the texture of the face onto a CG head and then animated the whole thing as a as a complete unit I do think that the um, like I think you're know, absolutely right but I do think it would have been a horrendous thing right like if you got given any script that required that written the way that was it'd be really hard to pull it off successfully yeah. unless you could change the character design because just having a floating bouncing around head that's effectively like um on a you know worm-like extension from the back just is going to be a really hard sell well could you have but could you have shot his head with a puppeted neck um hanging off and then only had to fill in the bottom attachment where it would stick to the guy well, on set, they did actually have a really great puppeted head. And the head, and I've seen, like, publicity stills, looks awesome, but it just wouldn't give a very good performance. Um, but the problem is still how that neck works, I think. Like, if that puppeted thing on set was still just a spongy, effectively like a slinky toy covered over with, you know, neck fabric, if that makes sense, that's just a springy kind of... What, you know what I'm trying to say? Like, yeah. if it would just no, be an unstructured yeah. thing, no, but what I, I meant, just still don't think it's going to work. I meant when you shoot Knoxville's face for real on yeah. blue, make a really long prosthetic neck that is puppeted with his real head and comp that. You know what I mean? So that you're you're working on, on like, a real jointed armature that's stuck, you know, prosthetically to his head uh, for the second head. And then, and then when you composite it, then you're just tweaking or painting you know, uh, the the physical piece. I just think you need to... Okay, that's fair enough, but I think you need to solve the problem of the character design. Um, yeah, well, it's a, I'm saying you're trying to just work within those constraints. Yeah, and uh, I think also that, that I can imagine that it'd be difficult in having I mean, to have somebody, you know, running around behind an actor while they're acting. Um, 
doing stuff. I just think uh, it didn't it didn't work to me. Yes, today we could obviously solve it technically uh, pretty well with with camera projection, as you say, Matt. But then and even just you know full three D um, heads. But then we've still got a problem, which is uh, you know character design, and, and it doesn't uh, get any get us anywhere. I think the a good example of like what worked so well in two was just how well the the pug talking did and the pug jokes. I mean, the dog looked good. Its mouth and stuff worked really well. Obviously, Rhythm and Hughes, uh, as I mentioned before, worked on on this, and this is one of the things you'd expect Rhythm and Hughes to work on because they're just known for this kind of stuff, especially back then. Uh, but I think ILM did some shots as well. And I have no problems with that. I mean, at a technical level and at an implementation level, you know, and right down to how they did things like sticking a fake cigar in a real dog's mouth and then just digitally replacing the cigar for the smoking shots. I mean, I thought it was just good, good stuff. I just, I'm worried that some of the um, problems in two just came from too many cooks spoiling the broth rather than the individual artists not being able to pull it off. I do think that the, whoever was doing the comping on that train sequence uh, didn't get it right. But some of the other things are probably not coming from the artist. They're coming from, from direction. But did you guys like the dog? Yeah, the dog looked great, didn't it? it? It was a was it a mixture between ILM and and Rhythm and Hughes? Yeah, I mean, they I, do I think each. ILM uh, did some, but obviously Rhythm and Hughes uh, did the vast majority because yeah. they're so good at that jaw replacement, um, animal talking stuff. They'd nailed it on Babe, hadn't they? Yeah. And just gets better and better since then. But yeah, I thought the dog was was much better than it was on the first one, um, and obviously having such a large role as well, you really got to see it and. You got to see it talk a lot more, and it just felt like a talking dog. There wasn't anything that I saw in it that took me out of the the uh, the character at all. I didn't, I didn't think anything jumped out. I mean, not working. There are some shots that I don't even know how to criticize. I mean, Jason, when um, uh, their boss, whose letter escapes me, jumps up in the air and does the kung fu kicking uh, <laughs> stuff, it was Is that Z. Z. Okay, yeah. So Jason, when when he jumps up and does that, it's hokey in a sense. But then I think it probably was meant to be like that because he's obviously suspended in the air while he does the kicking. It's not meant to be a realistic Kung Fu move. I don't know how to critique that because is it just comically valid to have somebody break the laws of physics at some points? Probably is. I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't know if Rip Torn is known for his nimble uh, physical probably agility, not. but, uh, but the, I mean, I didn't, I took it as in it, not that he was actually doing it, but that it was a gag. Right, so yeah. I, it didn't bother me. I had so many other issues by the time I got to that point that I was like, "Oh, that was, hey, look at that! That's a funny Three Stooges moment." You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And and I I thought it was an in, it's interesting to go back and look at these movies and see who gets cast based on clearly who was hot at the time and not because they're necessarily a good or bad actor. Like Lara Flynn Boyle clearly did not survive the test of time, but. Then Ooh, she was. Harsh. Then she was huge. You know what I mean. So they threw her in as the. We'll put her. She'll wear underwear and and she'll be the 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 sexy. You know whatever. But you know I I think Linda Fiorentino served that role way better in the first one than oh, yeah. than this seems. It just everything seems like it seems like corporate decisions, not artistic decisions. And that's just it. It sort of screams larger studio. Um, nonsense to me and not like Sonnenfeld sat down and made these choices. I mean, I'm sure he did at a certain point. He's the director, but 
they feel like very it feels like a like a very large corporate thing especially when you have movies like Minority Report and even the episode 2 at the time same time movies like the effects which ILM did a lot of for Minority Report are it looks like they're like 5 years apart right in in work yeah and yep. it's the same year so yeah i do think you need to that's why i started that that by placing it in uh, what was also in the same issues of Cinefix because, yeah, you do have to judge it on the tech of its day. And Men in Black, I mean, Minority Report, I think was just terrific. I think it was way underrated. Um, uh, it was just really, really interesting, right down to all of the kind of conceptual things of tech that they put in the thing. Um, in terms of the director's work, uh, I mean... I don't really think I could get past how bad Wild Wild West was. Yeah. So, um, but, you know, Get Shorty, I thought it was good. Um, it, does he have any issues with tech? Was the was Men in Black the blip or do you think he's going to, does he does he get visual effects in, in these kind of things? Well, here's the I thing. Mean, he's, a fen- he's a phenomenal DP, right? He shot yep, Racing absolutely. Arizona, Miller's Crossing, which is yep. arguably one of the greatest films ever. Uh, th- three o'clock high, even. He shot big. Yeah, big. Harry Met Sally. Exactly. Yeah, like, the guy clearly knows how to make a movie, right? Like, even outside but, of direction, though. But I'm asking about visual effects. Though. Yeah. How does he work with visual effects? Um, I mean, clearly, from the first one, he knows what he's doing. From the second one, from the second one, it seems like based on what we were just saying about the tech of the time and the ability of what they could do, it seems to me that the line items in the in the budget went towards talent and not towards post. That would be, that would be to me, why the work is not as good as current movies of the day done by the same house, even. Because ILM, uh, there's just no doubt that uh, this was sort of you know the perfect mix of model shop and um, digital effects. Like this was the company to have on this. There's no question that if you go ILM right. on a film at this time, where you needed this kind of integration of stuff, you had the right team. And the guys on this, many of them have gone on to do, you know, much bigger things or much more successful things than than Men in Black. Well, I mean, Men in Black Two wasn't a disaster. It obviously made quite a lot of money, but. It certainly wasn't. It isn't fondly remembered compared to, to Men in Black uh, One. So I don't. I don't really put the blame at, at ILM's feet. Um, no, I'm, I just I'm saying. Right. I'm I think saying where they like hobbled by, by budget. Committee. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I don't even think that. I think that. I don't think you'd have got ILM on a budget at this period. I don't think you could have gone back to ILM at, around this time and said, "Yeah, we've got much money." Plus, the budget had gone up for 140 million. So there's nothing to indicate that they. Well, there's a lot. Were. Will Smith was a much bigger star then, and there's a lot more people in the movie. Yeah, there's you know. 50 million floating around there. So yeah. I don't, I don't, unless you know that ILM worked at a lower. No, rate, I didn't. I no, I'm not, pure speculation on my part. I don't think that's. I don't think it's a money thing, and I don't think it's an ILM. I think you're you're more accurate with your assertion that it's management by committee, and just everybody having to approve stuff and everybody sticking their oar in because, you know, success has a thousand fathers and and a. A flop is an orphan, you know? Yeah. I mean, just bring up the ending scene where Rosario Dawson goes back to her, her planet in the ship. I mean, she just, like, dissolved and scaled into the stars, right? Like, I'm not looking for a mind-numbing effect, but 
I think that someone definitely cut a corner there. Yeah, even the whole fireworks thing just yeah. didn't really work for me at all. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've seen tutorials that show that effect. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes, yes. I'm concerned that it was other people other than the director that made one work. And by the time it came to the second one, he was kind of overrun. Sorry, he had gone from being kind of run around on the first one where he didn't sort of get in the way of it to wanting to have it his way on the second one. And he kind of... I, look, I don't have a lot of basis, in fact, for saying this. I have read some stuff talking about how he changed his mind a lot on quite a lot of the concepts and they had to throw out quite a lot of work. Um, and I think maybe by the came to the second one, he was like, no, no, it should be this, it should be this, it should be this, it should be really big. And that thing I mentioned before where you, you kind of say, well, but that wouldn't be very bright. And you go, yeah, no, it doesn't matter. People won't care. It's a comedy. Who cares? It's all funny. You know what I mean? Like when you look at any kind of sci-fi, any tech stuff like this, whenever someone speaks down to the audience and assumes that they won't care, it's almost guaranteed that they do care and it'll yeah. be a less successful proposition. I just think you shouldn't underestimate the audience when it comes to this stuff. You just know stuff at, a, at an intrinsic level and it just looks wrong. You need to get this stuff right, even doing a comedy. Because it's harder, you know, actually, I think it's, with a comedy, yeah. honestly. To, to walk the line. I yeah. think you're right. I think you're right. Uh, let's get back to one, because we, we gave it a free pass. Was there anything in one we didn't like? Just having a yeah, it's a masterpiece. One of the things, we, we didn't talk about the car, the car transformation that takes place in both one and two. Did people like that? guys like it um in one the the car morphing or in one it doesn't really do anything but use sped up sort of batman's you know tv show sped up film which i kind of thought was funny uh and then when they go in the tunnel actually i thought the tunnel was well done like it you know they 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 got close up enough on the on the uh car so you didn't have to see too much of the differential between the tunnel being you know the other cars upside down you see i go through that tunnel you know four times a month you know i mean i know that tunnel inside and out it 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 worked for me you know will smith falling against the ceiling and you get the reflections going by the window that whole sequence worked fine for me especially because they just used sped up film in the wide shots it kind of like sold the comedic hokiness of it for me yeah and that Elvis song's been running around in my head now for a good few days. <laughs> I do think in the second film, though, the interior lighting was too much in the car from a technical point of view. I will say, though, I loved the gag of the autopilot, and I loved Will Smith's ad-lib lines about we did have a black boat, but he kept on getting pulled over. I mean, <laughs> yeah. give me more of that. I thought that yeah. you know, that whole autopilot gag worked well. It was, uh, was achieved well because it had to look realistic but not too realistic. Um, it reminded me of of the autopilot gag in airplane. Y- yes, but this was done really well. Yeah, no, like, definitely. I mean, I mean, that's an inflatable guy. This was CG or whatever. I'm, yeah, yeah, and 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 it was kind of perverse. <clears throat> Not so good. It, well, yes. you know, it was very funny in, in Flying Eye. Yeah. But, um, no, I thought this one was good. There wasn't any sexual connotations though with no. this guy. I just had <laughs> Will Smith between the guy between the steering wheel in yeah. my head then. But that's all right. Um, yeah. So. I don't know. I, I hope Men in Black 3 is Men in Black 1's natural successor. Um, I'm not convinced yet, but hey, I don't need to be. I'm, I'm going to still put my money down and go see the film and, uh, and hopefully 
um, it will be. What about you guys? Are you willing to put your money down and go see the film? Or are you going to hang back and say, ooh, two, I'm going to wait until hear what the reviews are like? I think I'm going to go for it. Often you find three is better than two, so I'm going to go on that premise and uh, hope for the best. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm definitely going to go see it. I like Josh Brolin. I think given the 10 years between the second one and this one, that there's a lot more... Um, They'll probably, oh, probably, hopefully, be really nice. Some really nice effects sequences and things, given the technology that's available to them now. That hopefully they've spent ten years writing the script to get it right, and uh, <laughs> and it'll be nice. Yeah, hopefully it's not too Hollywood does. Yeah, hopefully Hollywood it's not too Will Smith. Right. <laughs> that was my bigger biggest problem with the second one. Is it was like it was the Will Smith show. Like, I didn't need all his shit every scene. You know what I mean? That's what was so great about the first one is that he kind of got, like, he was that character, and then he got totally shut down by what was happening to him, and then it slowly came back. And then, you know, like, the second well, one now, was just, like, the, a little the writers over the on that, Yeah, the writers on that said that you don't want to see Will Smith as the straight guy. So the problem in the beginning of the f- second one is he is the straight guy, and you need him to get back to being the guy reacting, which happens once Kay gets his memory back. And that's what worked so well in the first one, is, as you said earlier, seeing it through Will Smith's eyes. Because I like Will Smith. I think he's yeah. a good actor. Um, and I think he got one based on the performance he gave in Six Degrees of Separation. Have you guys seen that film? It's kind of a small film. Uh, I haven't. No, I, I missed that one. If no. you get a chance to see it, it is a really small film and it has no visual effects, but it just has stunningly good actors. All takes place in a, an apartment or two um, and it's it's like an adult film. It's not a kid's film. Um, but it's... Yeah, I know the premise. Really I just never saw it. Yeah, and it's... Um, he does give a spectacularly good acting performance there as opposed to the kind of smart-arsey... Um, Bella, uh, Prince of Bel Air, yeah. stuff. But yeah, um, I, I yeah, so I like Will Smith, and I I just think that we to get these effects right is such a balance. So I think you know you need somebody. I, I honestly believe Rick Baker cares about character design. Totally. So I don't, as I said at the outset, lay the criticisms I'm having at his feet. I think he just got shoved around in your, as you say, in your kind of corporate who um, who makes decisions committee thing. And he is on this, so you know. I, I hold out at uh, hope for three, but look, we'll we'll know, and you guys will know because we'll try and schedule a um, a Men in Black three for us uh, later in the uh, in the year. Actually, what comes out in about uh, May, doesn't it? I think. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah, that sounds right. Okay, well, it's certainly going to be a big release, and uh, and it's bound to get a lot of publicity. Let's hope that the early press is wrong and that it wasn't a debacle. Uh, Matt, um, how are things going with you? Where, where can people uh, track you down, stalk you, follow you? What, see what you're up to? Best place is probably uh, the Twitters. Just uh, Matt D. Leonard is the uh, place to find me. And Jason? Uh, same Twitter, Jason Diamond, one word. And uh, thank you guys for listening and uh, being part of the show. Uh, we really enjoyed it. Um, uh, obviously, if you're one of the artists that worked on the second one, you're going to be going, ooh, that, that's really going to sting. Until next time, I'm Mike Seymour. See you.
If you have any questions or comments, please email us at vfx at fxguide.com. Copyright 2012, FX Guide, LLC.